So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. I am Andrew. I'm here with my beautiful, wonderful wife on the night before Valentine's Day, Emily. Hi, yes. Yeah. And we're happy to have Kurt Frankham here with us today from the Leading Saints. Well, the organization Leading Saints, right? And then you also have a podcast. Is that right? That's right. That's okay. right. So most people know us as a podcaster and right. me as, uh, or this voice anyways, from the podcast. Yeah. And so, but uh, yeah, happy Valentine's Day. I don't know. Is this going to be published? This will be out soon? Yeah, on Thursday. Oh, okay. So. Good. So yes, people yeah. will just, still be just... in the, the mood. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Super yeah. exciting. I'm really excited about this because I've listened to the Leading Saints podcast. I've listened to a lot of your episodes. Yeah. Um, for a while. Been, yeah. We've, we've been listening, listening for a while. So this is a, this can be a fun thing for me. Um, I've, 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 oh gosh, what's the word I was looking for? Garnered? Gleaned. I've gleaned a lot of things. That's the word I was looking for. I've gleaned a lot of interesting, a lot of things from your podcast. You've had a lot of really interesting people on. So without further ado, you mind introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization. Sure. So, um, I am from, uh, I'm a Utah boy from West Valley city, Utah. That's the West side of, of Salt Lake Valley. And, uh, I, Graduated high school from Granger High School. I uh, want to be a Disney animator when I grew up. I'm not a Disney animator. <laughs> and um, I was just an artistic kid. I didn't do very well in school. I, I discovered later that I wasn't I wasn't stupid. I was just creative. And uh, so that traditional school setting just wasn't designed for my brain. But uh, nonetheless, I survived. Uh, went, uh, went to UVSC, which is now UVU after high school and then uh went on a mission to California Sacramento Spanish speaking and from that was 2001 to 2003 and came home finished a two year degree at, at UVSC then transferred to the University of Utah because BYU had rejected me three times three and, times <laughs> oh, it's hurt right. feelings I, it seems I, tender I'm still I'm still a diehard <laughs> BYU fan um yeah I bet I uh, had to get a degree somewhere, at least that's what I thought <laughs> back then. So I went to the U and graduated in, in business marketing and uh, did a few random jobs after college and then uh, ran a web development company where it helped small businesses uh, market their, their business online and build uh, attention and audiences and whatnot. And then as I was doing that, uh, just as, as a side sort of hobby blog or just a, a, a passion project, uh, Leading Saints was happening on the side until it grew and then became my full-time job in 2016. Um, wow. So that's, uh, I've got a, a white, my wife's from Blackfoot, Idaho, a small town called Pingree. She grew up on a potato farm. We have three kids and uh, that's, that's, those are the big that's things. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, what are, what are like your kids ages? About. So my uh, oldest is, uh, she's approaching 11. Then we have an eight-year-old boy and then a two-year-old girl. So three okay. kids. So awesome. cool. we're in that phase of life that you understand well, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very. So Yes. Deeply, deeply and emotionally, we understand yeah. that. Well, this is awesome. Uh, 
so question about leading saints. It, it's a nonprofit, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start first. Um, just kind of everybody, so you know what we're, we want to talk about today. I'd like to really focus a little bit on uh, leading saints and and why it was important to you and and its role um, that, or how you see its role, um, and then kind of piggyback on that and talk about our bigger meat and potatoes topic, which is now talking about Latter-day Saints who have left the church or who are questioning and how we help them as, as friends, but also as leaders, like how do we help them feel loved, but not feel like a project Mm -hmm. and how do we ensure that we don't end up in that camp as well. Yeah. Uh, and so all of those kinds of questions that we can dive a little bit more into that afterwards, cool. but let's, let's talk about leading saints. Let's hear the, uh, the, the mission and how it got started. Yeah. So the mission is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And basically how it got started is when I came back from my mission, I started attending, uh, well, I guess I, I left, uh, came up to Salt Lake to start attending the university of Utah and I was living at home and attending a student ward in the uh, Salt Lake Community College Institute building. And I was called as the elders quorum president in that ward. It was this huge ward of, you know, or this huge quorum of like 100 elders. And it was my first really leadership role. I, I mean, I've maybe been a district leader on my mission, but it wasn't anything too intense. And uh-huh. I thought, well, isn't this fantastic? They they finally have somebody who's going to try because everybody else just can't seem to do it right. But I'm going to actually try. Right? This is my <laughs> naivete back then. Um, and and or a I did missionary. Try. Yeah, that's I right. Can do everything. <laughs> that's right. Do uh, maybe too much confidence, and so I like poured myself into this calling till I was completely empty, and. Uh, you know, the guilt trip lesson. I remember like looking at the reports and uh, finding out that it was, you know, we had 39% home teaching, you know, these are home teaching days. And mm-hmm. I wrote that up on the board, you know, made everybody look at it like, look at this is awful. Like <laughs> stare at it, like, you know, feel the guilt, right? Like we can do better than this. Right. So I had the, the guilt tri- trip lesson dialed in and I thought, you know, we're going to really make a difference and I'm going to rally the troops and, and we're going to see this progress just going to be, I mean, the, the right screenplays about this elder quorum in, in uh, West Valley city, Utah. Right. So, uh, that, that month I went to work and I spent countless hours in the clerk's office, you know, arranging home teaching. If I could just figure out the routes and, and, and pair people with the right people, maybe magically that would help. And I handed out all the, the, you know, printed them out. The, the routes and handed them out to each individual. And if they weren't there, I put them in an envelope, put a stamp on it and mailed it to their house because they had no excuse about not doing their, <laughs> their home teaching. This sounds right? so much like the RM. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm just imagining oh, Kirby yeah. Hayborn like, in his little brief stint as yeah. an Elder Scrum This could be the sequel to the RM for sure. Uh, so maybe they, they could write a screenplay about the Elder Scrum, but it'd be a comedy for sure. But, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I just was burning candle at both ends, doing everything possible to show that we could will this into existence. And I remember the end of that next month, just so being so excited to go to the reports and look at them and see where we ended up. And, you know, we were at 39% the year, the month before, and I looked up the, the, 
the the numbers and the statistics and we were at 38%. So <laughs> we had gone down a percent and I was like defeated, right? But I stayed with that. I was in that role for about nine months. I met my wife in that ward. And so we got engaged and, and obviously moved out. But um, I left that experience really deflated, sort of like, oh, like what, what was the point of that? Like, I really tried hard. I didn't even move the needle. And uh, it was just so frustrating that, it, but it was over so I could move on. But then a few years later, it served in a bishopric and then that bishop got released and I was called as the high priest group leader. And I thought, well, what, what's the point? Why should I even try uh, but I could walk into, you know, a bookstore and there'd be bookshelves full of life leadership and business leadership, you know, all this research about leadership, how to motivate people, how to, how to mentor people, how to connect with people, how to create a movement in an organization, right. And, and culture and all these things. And so, so I thought, well, why aren't, why isn't anybody talking about this in the context of the church? And so, um, I thought maybe I could create that platform. And so it started out in 2010 as a hobby blog. And I just sort of would blog about different leadership topics for a few years. And then in 2014 is when uh, the pod I started the podcast. And that's really when it got some traction. In 2016, it was my full-time job. We became a, a, a nonprofit. And uh, it's been grown ever since. We get half a million downloads every month. And we've reached almost oh, awesome. 14, 14 million downloads total. And uh, just keeps just keeps growing and people are hungry for this type of content. And a lot of people may not realize that, you know, you obviously have the church as this organization, this institution, but surrounding that institution are many, often they're nonprofit organizations that uh, are helping in their own little way, like, uh, you know, S Scripture Central, which was formerly Book of Mormon Central, right? And, and yeah. Fair Latter-day Saint. And, you know, they're doing, like Fair Latter-day Saint is taking scholarship and trying to answer tough questions about history or theology and and uh you know book of mormon central is focused on the scriptures and making them a stronger resource and things so we we're just in the the playground of leadership to help individuals uh that want to be better leaders they have a place to come and and learn and and develop and and grow as leaders so well i just love that at least from listening to your podcast that you bring on so many different types of people and leadership ways. It's not like, here's how to be a good leader. Yeah. Here's the formula. It's like, no, yeah. let's listen to everybody's experiences because so many people do so many different things in different ways. Yeah. And so I love that. Well, and I was going to say something similar there. I was listening to, I believe it was the church news podcast. Um, it was either elder Bednar was talking or it was elder Bednar. Yeah. So he was on the church news podcast and he was talking about how, when he, I think when he was first called to be a member of the 12, uh, he was thinking about how does he, no, no, sorry. I'm like remembering the details as I'm telling the story. Uh, so the, the host asked him like how he was applying his experience as an educator mm -hmm. um, in his church service. And like, how are you applying what you've learned in your church service or yeah, learned in your career in your church service? And he said, I don't. Right. I specifically try not to, because if I try and pull in things mm -hmm. the way the world does it, I'm I am discounting the opportunity for revelation. And the world, the Lord works differently than the way the world works. Mm -hmm. um, and so the there I see a huge need specifically for like a leadership resource that is church focused because it's just different. Like the Lord just works differently. And of course yeah. there are principles that are universal, but for the most part, the way the Lord does things is just different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, but it's a lot of fun just to explore these, these concepts and, and 
just come at it from a different angle rather than, you know, what does the handbook say or what did the last guy do? Maybe we yeah. can really step back and say, what if this looked completely different Yeah, and, and we approach in a way that's going to maybe be more efficient and, and effective. So. Yeah. So one, one question I've, I've wanted to ask you for a while, as I've listened to your, your podcast is you have a lot of guests on that are, members of the church, some are no longer members of the church, but they're from a pretty wide spectrum, right? And mm-hmm. so sometimes you hear people say say ideas that um, aren't wrong, but they're sometimes in conflict with other ideas that some of your guests say. Right. Yeah. So what what do you how do you as a as a host kind of navigate this? Because you don't, it sounds like you don't generally get involved with saying, oh well I think you're wrong here or trying to compare and contrast with what other people have said, you, it seems like, well, I'll just let you talk to that. Like, how, how do you yeah, address yeah. that? Sure. Yeah, it definitely comes up. I mean, I'll, I'll even be sitting in an interview, like interviewing somebody and they say something and I'm just like, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I just completely disagree with that approach or what, what they're doing. And, and maybe I'll ask like a follow-up question like, well, you know, what about that? You know, A, B, and C, I, that doesn't seem to jive with what you just said. Right. But this goes back to the, the dynamic that we really try and establish with leading saints is that we don't pretend like we've figured out leadership in the church. We don't think that there's a clear formula for what a leader should do or shouldn't do. Um, generally there's principles that I feel like a leader needs to sit with and digest and, and then pick a course of action, which to me, that's the a big part of, of the problem isn't that leaders don't know what to do or they don't have the skills that they haven't even taken the time to create the space to sit with what does the, even the principle of delegation mean or what does it even mean to uh you know what does addiction mean or you know all these things that we just sort of assume we know we know the the meaning behind so um go, so going back to that is that we don't we don't have a curriculum we don't have a you know the 10 principles of every leader it's just like what's working for you and if you can articulate how it's working maybe it'll work for others i can have maybe a disagreement with why why it wouldn't or wouldn't work work but uh that that's not the point of the content that we create um and mm. and so they can share it i mean there are some i mean obviously if somebody had I, I, and we are you know selective on we won't just have anybody on the podcast say, all right, tell me how, how you think, you know, a leader should, <laughs> should do the thing. Cause you know, there are some things that I would say, all right, that just doesn't jive with our theology in general or um, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So, you know, there, we do have some boundaries there we try and stay in, but, but it is sort of, I just want to create this, this marketplace of ideas where individuals can come and say, this is what works for me. And I'm like, great. And if you can, I may ask a few follow-up questions and if you can articulate why it works then maybe someone should consider that. And then we, then we move on. Yeah. Well, it's it, the way I like to approach it when I'm listening to it is I tell myself, okay, this is just, this is a forum, right? Like yeah. this is a place where we come and, and like you said, a marketplace of, of ideas. I love the idea of the, uh, of the Agora. Is that what it is? Like the, the Greek marketplace. Like mm, that's where yeah. like, the, the, the ideas. So people would come to the marketplace, but then they would, discuss them and then or they would discuss ideas and that's where all the big debates happened and so that in my mind that's how i approach it right and and that's how yeah i think it's super fascinating my favorite interview you've had is with um president Mikhailovsky. yeah he's from ukraine nonetheless yeah (laughs) so far in eastern ukraine super fascinating super fascinating Yeah. yeah just it's interesting to hear how you know, not only the church functions in Ukraine, but during a wartime, you know, like right. what does that look like? And, and he's not in the heart of the, 
you know, the front lines or anything, but it's obviously impacting his, his country, yeah. his economy, you know, and even the yeah. troops there. So he's on the yeah. front lines, but he's not, not that far away. Right. He's him. a lot closer than we are. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that was super interesting. So we, Emily and I both served our missions in Russia. And so we have lots of, lots of connections over there. So okay. we're very close. That was a really cool episode for us. Uh, but to the, one of the main topics we wanted to discuss today. So in the past few years, and I don't know if this is, if this happens to every generation, uh, but it feels like a lot of our age our cohort of members, right? Our, our brothers and sisters who are our age seem to be like really struggling with their faith. Yeah. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know if this is a thing that every generation goes through. Um, and so it just seems big to us because we're just becoming aware of it or if it's happening more frequently. Uh, but it feels like every few weeks, one of our, our friends who are members ends up leaving yeah. the church. Yeah. So this is a topic that's really sensitive to us. Um, so th- let me start with there. Or start with there. With your experience in church leadership, do you think that the challenge facing Latter-day Saints, especially young Latter-day Saints right now, is unique, or is this the same challenge that's been happening for time immemorial? No, definitely unique. Um, and I think, you know, statistics show that and, and, uh, and not just in our faith, right. Or our faith tradition, it's across the board, you know, the, it's often framed as the, the, the growing percentage of nuns, right. And right. yeah, the, the people who just don't have a, who can maybe consider themselves spiritual, but they don't have a organized religion where they attend. Right. And that demographic continues to grow and grow. Um, and, uh, so yeah, definitely, happening in our, our faith. Um, and I know that there's just a lot of leaders, um, that are really struggling with how to sit with, like, what, like, there's this feeling of like, there's a crisis here. And, and this is a a leadership principle I talk about a lot where there's a leader just feels this, this uh, urgency to do something, right. I've got to do something. I can't just sit here and watch this happen. Um, right. but in with this dynamic specifically, that leader quickly realizes, oh, there's not a lot I can do at least like this week or for that, you know, I can't force that person to stay in the church. And, and by the time they're sort of aware of this crisis in the life of, of a specific individual, it's, you know, that, that ship has, has sailed, right? Like there's, right. there's not much more you can do at that point. So hopefully leaders regrouping and saying, well, what, what can I do to stimulate culture that's going to maybe lessen this, or at least people feel like they can come back or they can stay longer or they can sit with their questions and doubts amongst us type thing. Um, there's this, I don't know if you, you know the name Peter Drucker. He was a, a very well-known uh, business and leadership strategist. And he wrote all these books. Like you just an author, prolific author of writing all these uh, management strate- strategy books. And so he gets quoted a lot, but he, he shared this quote of, um, of culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? This idea of like, it doesn't matter how great of strategy you have in your organization. If you don't have good culture, it's just, it's just not going to work. And I, I've reframed that in the gospel of, uh, culture eats doctrine for breakfast because we have remarkable doctrine and people can say like, you know, you, you, you can talk about our doctrine in a way of like, this is incredible. Like, why would anybody not want to be a part of this? And the the hope and the grace and Jesus and you know you can go on and on. But if we don't have a culture that's going to like that holds that doctrine, 
people never even make it to that that core message of the doctrine, which is so redemptive and so hopeful and encouraging. And so it really goes back to a, a leader or it, really any of us um, asking, how can I stimulate healthier culture in order to um, help people hang on a little longer, you know? Yeah. So what does that look like? What is, what is healthier culture that helps stimulate yeah. that? And that is the question, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's a few things to consider. I mean, obviously, um, when we we're just talking about culture, um, there's a feeling of in in you know in our faith tradition of there's there's just a right way to do things, right? And 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 I think any organized religion needs that that kind of uh, thing happening where it's like, you know, we have a certain boundaries here. We have certain truth claims. We have core doctrine and we can't just let be loosey goosey about uh, what we believe or whatnot. So I think that's important, but having this, uh, a, a culture, uh, let me, let me back up a little bit. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a friend like leave the church and um, maybe they've gone online and they've articulated their story of why they're leaving the church. And <laughs> You're like reading through that and you're hearing their experience and what they are claiming, like that we believe and and what we do. And I often think, you know what, you're leaving a church that I never joined. Like this just does not <laughs> right. like I, I wouldn't want to attend that church, right? Like e- even today I was listening to some um people breaking down certain doctrines, and it wasn't like in an antagonistic approach, it was they were just trying to articulate a belief. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. Like you, that is so misunderstood, right? Cause there's this feeling of like, well, you know, um, for example, just taking the doctrine of the three degrees of glory, right? You could articulate the three degrees in glory in a way of like, there's the cool kids club at top. And if you're not good enough, you don't get into the cool kids club. And so you better be good or you, or you won't get in the cool kids club. I'm like, what are you talking about? That is not the plan or the purpose of yeah. the three degrees yeah. of glory. Like we oversimplify things to a point of like, okay, no. Like, of course, if I was yeah. in an organization where people were saying, I had to act a certain way to get into a certain club, I don't want to be in that club. That's not, that's not what the... The, the doctrine is about, right? It's, right, so it's much all more bad. expansive. You, I mean, you read Doctrine Come at 76 and you're thinking, is everybody going to heaven? Like, it, 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 do, does anybody get left out? Like, it is so, so broad and so encompasses yeah. so many people. Like, it's a beautiful message, right? So, so on that point, I had a really interesting conversation. Um, at the, I was at my, my gym and I was in the, the locker room with a Catholic priest and uh, I, he was Catholic, but he was like a proselyting Catholic. I, I, he was explaining it to me. I didn't really understand. Anyway, so Catholic priests, and they were like razzing me about, about the celestial kingdom, but about like our doctrine on that. Um, and like it was, I, he, they started making fun of, of the church about it or about like that doctrinal point. And I started to try and explain. And then I realized they're just like, they're just making fun of this, right? Like it's not. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's not going to do me any good to sit there and kind of explain it. So in a world where oversimplification and um, mischaracterization is so heavily rewarded, mm-hmm. like, like what do we do with that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really like even just, and it happens within our, you know, obviously when we're in primary or nursery, we, we need to oversimplify some of these doctrines so that we can at least have a lesson and start talking about them. 
but so at some point we we fail to add a little more complexity to it so that it's it's not that we don't uh, it's not oversimplified anymore like for example the dynamic of families can be together forever like we've been singing that song for so many years right and there's this feeling and this is one of my most hated false doctrines we have in our church that gets perpetuated over and over and and it gets almost assumed and when we sing a song like families can be together forever like the 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 and it's i often frame it as the empty chair in heaven fallacy that mm-hmm. if one member of our family does not live up to the the commandments like we'll be at dinner in heaven and there's just this empty chair right or oh uncle bill who left the church in mortality he lives far away and we don't get to see Uncle Bill, right? What on earth are you talking about? Like we've we've turned this doctrine into a, a neighborhood plan. Like if like the celestial kingdom's a neighborhood, like what are you talking? It's a neighborhood. This is a state of being, a, a state of exaltation. I can still hang out with my my cousin Jerry, who decided to be atheist. Like we're we're still going to there's there's no doctrine, there's no quote, there's nobody that has articulated, oh, you will we won't be able to associate with these, these people, right? And, and yeah. And so that that those doctrines get totally misframed. That yeah, I don't blame. I I probably leave the church too if that was what the belief was. But it's not. Yeah, we, we have to be more expansive and really like push ourselves. Like what? Where did you get this perception that 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 was the case right now? And I want to be very careful. I'm not saying like oh the you know I I, I would hate to frame people who leave the church as oh you just don't understand if you if you read a little bit more because that's not the case too. My the main point here is that. Just this, um, the the uh, lack of understanding of how we frame things, right? That we're, um, you know, you know that that there's it's it's very black and white, and that you see this. Um, I talked about. I don't know if you're familiar with the Fowler stages of faith, um, mm-hmm. but we often, you know, again oversimplifying. We either put people are either in the church or they're out of the church, right? It's very black and white. You either have a testimony or you don't have a testimony. And it, with our com- complex minds and, and human experiences, that is way too rigid for what is going on. And so mm-hmm. James Fowler, who was a, uh, a Baptist uh, preacher and uh, professor, uh, I think it was at Emory University, he he put this, this Fowler stages of faith together, which were seven different six or I think seven, uh, seven different stages of faith that the typical individual goes through. And so the first two are a very, you know, elementary uh, stage of faith. This may be where when we were young, we sort of classify God and Jesus in the same box as we do the Easter bunny and Santa Claus and He-Man, right? Like they're just these mythical characters that are really cool. And yeah, we, we, they exist somewhere. I don't know how they exist, right? That's where our mind is. But then we mature to stage three and that's a very black and white belief set. And, uh, and that works really well because everybody, everything fits into the box nicely. And if there's, uh, there's something that is is against the the nice fitting box. It must not be true, so we can dismiss it. There's no uh, need for for nuance because everything fits, right? The church is true and end of story. And then what people realize is like, well, it's kind of messy. You know, it does sort of uh, not fit perfectly into that box. And God actually wants us, to, invites us into that um, that nuance and wants to explore it. But a stage three individual who's very black and white suddenly has this. Um, this messiness in front of them, 
they're going to grasp for another stage three type of model. And that may be, well, okay, I'm going to reject the church, but I will run and find a very black and white model. And now it's, well, obviously the church isn't true. Wasn't that so ridiculous? I even believed in that, right? And they're in this very stage three. Um, but uh, th- that state, once they get through that stage four and into stage five, where they can sit with nuance, they can sit with the the complexities of like, Okay, so it's not a cool kids club. The Celestial Kingdom is not a cool kids club, but maybe there's something more here. Maybe it's a, it's more of a journey that God like wants me to progress individually. And maybe there's not necessarily three kingdoms. Maybe there's just as many kingdoms as there are people there, right? I think Joseph Smith said something to that that degree, or other prophets of, of you know, maybe it's not that rigid. Maybe there's there's just this invitation to progress and exalt over time to become more like God. And and I don't have all the answers and it's really messy right now, but I can sit in that, that faith anyway. So I think it's, uh, with, with this and, and, you know, especially, and this goes to leaders because most leaders are, are obviously very orthodox, which means they're typically very stage three where everything's black and white. You know, if, if you just did it my way, you know, I, I believe, so just do, just believe like me. And then you mm-hmm. don't have to struggle with this doubt, but it doesn't work like that because they're in stage four already and you can't bring them back to stage three. It's a one-way road, right? And so that it gets to be very difficult um, for a even a, a believing Latter-day Saint to sit with the fact that their friend is leaving when it's like, no, 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 like everything fits in the box. Come look at my box. It, you know, it fits here. It's all great. You know, mm-hmm. and so misunderstanding, I guess what I'm, the umbrella of all this, uh, my pontification here is that we misunderstand the natural faith development that someone goes through. We all, not even in religion, some of us are, are stage four Americans, especially maybe at the end of a president, the night of a presidential election, we're just like questioning everything, like our fellow men are, you know, what, what, what does this country really believe? They, they put this character in the in the Oval Office, right? Or whatever it is. Right. Like, we have this moment of doubt, even in our political perspectives. We, we uh, you know, we were all very stage three parents at one time, like, oh, my kids are going to go to bed at 730 and they're going to wake up at this time. I'm going to get them on a schedule. And then, well, the complexity of life hits and we have this crisis of like, this isn't working, like what's going on. But it's in that, it's in that disruption and that nuance where God like finds us and they're like, it's hard, isn't it? Well, reach out to me. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's keep going. Right. And that's the beauty of, of what faith can be. Um, Anyways, I'll, I'll yeah. pause here. Take a I, breath. What, what comes to mind? Oh, you're fine. Um, something that came to my mind was I think that in the past I have felt very like, like put this idea of finality on those decisions of friends or family that like, mm-hmm. oh, they left the church. Like it's final. And I think oh, recently yeah. I've started to understand better that like, it's not final. Like they can always come back. Of course. Like then maybe that sounds like so obvious, but like in the past for me, it was just like, Oh, they decided that they never want to be here again, but that's not always the case. Right. Well, it goes back to the idea of like the stage three and the categorization, right? Cause it's really easy to say, okay, this person has left the church. And so now they have moved from this one category to another category. Um, and it's like, they are member of the church. Now they are apostate or non-member of the church right, or whatever. Yeah. And it's easy to apply all of the, um, all of the characteristics that are associated with that box to that mm-hmm. person. And from, it's really difficult because I, I would like to say that, Oh, we should always be able to like, uh, we should be able to never generalize 
right? We should be able to like be hyper personal in every interaction that we have. But like, I don't think our brains are, our brains aren't capable of that. And so we, we, we have to catch ourselves because our natural reaction is to, is to like generalize. use generalizations and use right. like put into categories because our brain doesn't have the, the capacity to, um, to keep every individual in their own individual box, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. it's much easier from a computing standpoint mentally to kind of put people in their boxes. And that's the great, um, you know, kind of the great call from the savior is to not do that. And maybe I just had this thought that like, it, it, it may not be possible from a natural man perspective, but in the moments when it's necessary, the savior can help you get beyond your natural capacity, right. And start to individually see somebody in a way that's not possible. Otherwise I, I felt that 100% in my calling as I ministered to people who are in need or have counseled with people where like, I, I felt the boxes kind of like fall away mm. and then like, it's just the individual there. Right. And so I'm not, not like trying to categorize as much. So I, I have a, a, you know, a thought on this or what you were saying. So I see kind of two problems here, right? So we have the one individual who might be going through that, that faith crisis and they're struggling because the standard church culture might be the, the more, I'll say like the, the rigid Orthodox. Cause I think the, the true Orthodox position would be the position that we're striving towards, right? It's a position of the savior. Uh, and I'll say that's, that's the true Orthodox, but the quote unquote conservative Orthodox more rigid position is black and white, right? We'll, right. we'll use that, that terminology for the sake of this discussion. Um, so you have a lot of members who are in that space and then you have members who are, who are questioning. And then those are, and the fact that the members are questioning uh, makes them feel ostracized and separated from the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so then it, it becomes difficult because your expectation on the members who are quote unquote orthodox, right. Or are not questioning is, Hey, you have to deepen your spiritual, like your doctrinal and your spiritual understanding so much. Cause the change in culture, like while culture eats doctrine, like doctrine creates culture, right. Mm-hmm. Or understanding of doctrine creates mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thinking of your example specifically with like the celestial kingdom and families being forever, we use the phrase families are forever because it, it conveys most of the doctrine that we're trying to get at. But in order to get to the true doctrinal meaning, it takes a lot more digging, right. And a mm-hmm. lot more, a lot more doctrinal understanding. And so like uh, we see the the need of the individual who's questioning. We say, okay, well, we need they need to they need to have a, a more mm, ad, like a, a more doctrinally founded culture. But then you look at the individuals who are creating the culture, and you're like, okay, like this is like a high level of expectation we have on these right. individuals, right? Because right. it, like it's not just saying, hey, everybody, be accepting. Right. It's, it's a whole slew of things because the frequently the people I've spoken with, some people leave the church because they feel ostracized or whatnot. But most of the people that I know who have deep testimonies that have struggled and served missions and have done the things that they quote unquote were supposed to do, they end up having deeper conflict than just, Oh, am I accepted or not? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So 
maybe speak to that a little bit. That's sure. a lot of small yeah. stuff. Yeah. A few things I want to mind. Um, one is that like, and I hear this even in like, even very faithful people where they articulate the gospel and their gospel experience into an equation, right? The, the, the algebra of, of the, of the gospel, right? If you do a, and then add a little B to it, you'll get C right. And they're sort of this, the undertones of like, you know, you'll be happy if you, if you live the gospel principles, like, well, what about if you're not, you know, or <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll prosper in the land, you know, it's the, the, the prosperity gospel, right. They're prosper in the land. If you keep the commandments, well, what if you don't, you know? And when I see people sort of turning this into an equation, I like want to like wave the red flag, like stop, like this is, you are not headed in a good direction because God will disrupt that path, right? Because he does not want you to have faith in the gospel equation. He wants you to have faith in him, right? Um, there's also this feeling of when somebody is doubting or struggling, like something is wrong here and we need to do, yeah, yeah, of course I need to be accepting. Yeah, I get, I need to be loving, but we got to do something here because this is, you know, they're tumbling down a hill of, uh, and, and we've got to stop this. Um, and, and to me, um, that is almost a lack of a sign of lack of faith of, of what is actually going on here. So for example, um, if God, the father walked into a fast and testimony meeting, I mean, that'd be pretty amazing and stood at the lectern and was going to bear his testimony about the atonement of Jesus Christ. Would he say, well, you know, we sort of had this idea and I'd, I'd give my only begotten son. We sort of hope it would work for everybody. Like, um, and so we, we put it in, it's there. Like, I hope it, it works at the end of the day. Like when all said and done, like, I don't think he has, like, he has such complete knowledge that his, the, the atonement of his son works for everybody. And it doesn't matter if they stepped away for a while or they don't, or they go on the mission and become the bishop for three times, or they go on the mission and then get three tattoos. Like at the end of the day, like the plan works, like it is done. The, the score is set as, as Elder Holland has said it, and it's over. So if somebody is stepping away from the gospel, is something really broken? Like, can can their actions break the atonement for them? Like, do like end game over, right? Um, or maybe there's something more to what's going on. Maybe, and and this, I I get it. Like, many people would disagree with me. Like, I believe there's instances where God needs them to sort of take a break for a time and be like, you are so ingrained in the equation gospel, like you you can't even see what what the my gospel is so like take a time out for a minute step back regroup and when you really can approach god in a way that isn't about the cool kids club and the celestial kingdom like i can engage with you there and even in my own life i've <coughs> i felt that where i've, I've I, at times i get so rigid right i want to do the things i want to check the boxes i want to because that's what a good latter-day saint boy is supposed to do or he's just sort of bit, came to me and said what are you doing? Like, I, it's not about doing the scripture study. It's not about going to the temple. It's about a relationship with me. So if you can't find a relationship with me, like time to regroup, take a breath and re-engage. And so, and that's the, I, I believe we, we worship a God of paradoxes that he's going to mm. give Adam and Eve two uh, paradoxical commandments in the garden, right? Well, it comes, it's oftentimes there's things that feel like, well, God would never ask them to do that. 
he would never ask them to leave the church. Well, whatever it takes for them to get back on track to get in a true relational status with God, that's what he's going to do. And that, and that's whereas as mortals, I I don't I'm not comfortable with that. I'm sort of like, ah. but no, like they just what if they you know make some terrible choices? Like, well, the gospel, you know, the atonement's it's done, it's there, right? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't yeah. mean we take liberty to sin or we can just you know drink and be merry. But what I'm saying is that we we got to have faith that like God's got them, right? Like they can never outrun Jesus. Right. Even if they try and outrun the church, they can never outrun Jesus. And when they're ready, he'll knock on the door and disrupt and and uh, he'll bring him back. And we have uh, eternity is such a long time. Right. I think I often forget that eternity is such a long time. And my first thought is like the finality of it. But it's like, no, 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 no. Like this isn't final. They are always right. like it's always available to them to come back. We sometimes are a little bit prideful and thinking that like, it's my job to like fix them or it's my job to bring yeah. them back. Um, or like we're having like faith in ourselves to like make it, make them stay or something. But I love what you said that like, we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ because he knows where they are. He knows what they're up to and he's, he's not leaving them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. And I think, Sometimes, you know, the term, we just have to love them. Like we hear that a lot these days and Mm -hmm. it's been said so much that it's reached the cliche status. And when things Mm -hmm. reach the cliche status, they lose all meaning. There's people say that and I'm just like, but what does that mean? Right? Like just love them. Like, cause then some people think that means, oh, we should then celebrate everything evil they do. Or uh, that then we can't define what sin is because we just got to love them. And if we say something, they're sinning, then we're not loving them when, no, it's okay to say what sin is, but Mm -hmm. being what um, like love is acceptance and being able to just sit with them and, and not, not preach at them or talk to them or just be like, wow, like, you're having this mortal experience, right? Like if I had a deep, dear friend who had cancer, I wouldn't go to their home and sit down and be like, man, you should have really like laid off the sugar in life. You know, like, have <laughs> yeah, you, no. have you thought about exercising more? Like maybe if you exercise, <laughs> the cancer will go away. No, you would just be like, oh my goodness. I'm like, so sorry you, going through this. <laughs> yeah. You, you hurt. Like that is yeah. so sad. Like, I want to sit with you as you hurt, right? Or, yeah. oh, you're happy. Like, I want to sit with you when you're happy, right? And it's just this, and that is, it becomes so difficult because we, um, I worry at times we don't have faith enough to know that God's got him and he's going right. to intervene. He, at some point in eternity, he's going to sit down and be like, no, really, I really want a, a relationship with you. And you keep bowing to these other things, but I want you to like every knee shall bow to me. Like I want you to engage with me because I'm the answer. None, nothing else is the answer, but me. Right. And, right. and that, and then that will happen, right? Like he will hang with them. And for us, it's just like, you just to have the strength to sit with them and know that Jesus has got him. Like that's, that's, that's it. You know? Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And I, I, I like the idea that loving someone is it's not about i think it's much less about about a feeling than it is about like a recognition of like their validity right of like their 
their identity as a child of God and the fact that they have agency, yeah. right? I mean, so you look at how the Lord, for the most part, how he instructs us to care for his children, right? As mm-hmm. leaders in the church, especially, and I think it gets, especially at like the front lines of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Like where most of the leadership action happens, it's never by commandment. It's mm-hmm. always by invitation, mm-hmm. right? Right. We're always inviting people. And when you invite people, you're recognizing their, their agency. You're recognizing their identity as a child of God. And that, yeah, that, at times it's super frustrating, right? To like, I, especially I remember this as a missionary. I'm like, man, agency sucks. It's so important, <laughs> but it's so difficult. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you see that all the time. Anybody who's counseled counseled with somebody when they're talking about like the pains they're feeling, and you just want to say, dude, like you're telling me all these problems that you're having, and like the Lord's already revealed what the solution is, right? right. And you just want to like. You want to? I had this experience uh, about a year ago. My, my I had a dear friend I was working with, and he was telling me about these problems. And I was like, "Look, here's these. Here's the solution." And I just I told him, "Here's the solution. This is the this is what the brethren are saying right now." Yeah. Didn't even like make it through the first layer of his uh, of his consciousness, right? <laughs> and then I instead uh, after that I said, "Hey, why don't you read this talk, and then we'll talk about it later." And then he came to me a few weeks later, and he's like, "Dude, like this is amazing." Like, like this person said this and it was exactly what I had said, but the fact that it wasn't his agency or he wasn't acting on his agency when I was telling it to him, but he was acting on his agency when he was exploring this and kind of wrestling with it. And so loving someone is, I think much more about that action of recognizing someone's validity than about any feeling. Right. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And I, I've, I've, I'm finishing a whole manuscript on this this concept of uh, of godly disappointment because I think this is at the root of it. That when we use terms of like, like I hear people say, like, oh well, we just got to love them, and in their mind, I think even like very black and white orthodox individuals will hear that and be like, yeah, I do love my son who's left the church, but I'm just so disappointed in him. Right, and they feel like these are like separate feelings that stand alone. Yeah, when in reality disappointment. I honestly believe to the core of my being that God has never, ever been disappointed in us. What, because disappointment assumes an expectation that God expects us to keep all his commandments and be perfect. And if we don't, then something's wrong, but everything was fixed through his son. So how can he even hold disappointment when he knows that everything is made whole through his son, right? And so mm-hmm. there's this feeling of disappointment where they're like, you know, maybe they have a gay son and they're like, well, you know, he, yeah, we love him. We invite him over, but we never talk about his his partner or his relationship or what they, they like to do together or, you know, anything like that because it's that disappointment that holds them back of being like, oh, yeah, sure, in theory, I love them. Like, I care for them. Yeah, sure. But I'm just so disappointed. And it's that disappointment where I think, you got to invite God into of saying like, actually God's not disappointed him. He's just with them. He's on the journey with them. And at some point, yeah, they're going to have to reconcile to say, why did you turn to this lifestyle rather than to me? Right. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not my business to facilitate that conversation, to, to give them the right or wrong answer. But at some point, all of us 
It's not just those that maybe have the the term that I hate of of grievous sin or serious sin, which all sin is serious because it separates us from God. But at some point in the eternities, we're all going to have to look at God and say, "Why did why and 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 have to explain why did we turn to food? Why did we turn to our smartphone? Why did we turn? I mean, list whatever." Uh, whatever distraction from from Jesus there is, stigmatized or not, whether it's porn or or you know going back to the dessert table for seconds. I mean, whatever it is. Again, this is my. I'm not stigmatizing any of that. But we all have our thing that we turn to before we turn to Jesus, mm-hmm. and so that conversation will happen. But for us, we just sit with like, wow, you went back for dessert. Like you like that? You like cheesecake? Obviously, I love cheesecake. Can we talk about cheesecake for a minute? Right? Like <laughs> to sit with them. And and with zero expectation, because expectation leads to the the poison of disappointment, which is is cancer in relationships. So let's take this this idea, which I love, and about how to like sit with people in their questions or in their struggles, and like let's kind of put a face on it, right? So let's say you have a friend who has left the church for reason X, right? Not super important, but you have you have a friend who's left the church. Or you're a leader and somebody that you're leading, a member of your congregation or your quorum or your organization, is or leaves a church. How do you then apply that? Like, what would you do if, like, you were an elders quorum president and mm-hmm. a member of your quorum leaves or says that yeah. they're leaving or just tells everybody, "Hey, I'm taking a break." Yeah. Um, so I remember there's a, a moment uh, I was in a so I was serving as the bishop and I what was it? I got a text or something. Um, I, I basically, I remember I'm at the stake center in like a Bishop meeting with all the other bishops in the stake. And I get this text message from somebody saying, so-and-so has decided to leave the church. I, I again, if this was about 10 years ago, so the details are money, but I remember this feeling of like, Oh, I should go. I, I should plan on going and visiting them. Right. But it was in that moment where the spirit came to me, like, why are you sitting in this meeting? Like, get up and leave. And so I stood up in this meeting and I left. And it was sort of like everybody thought, okay, where's Bishop Frankham going? Like this, okay, I guess he's done, right? And I uh, <laughs> gave a heads up to my stake president later. But um, And I drove to their house and I sat in their living room. Like I was there, right? Like, like they can't say that the bishop didn't show up, right? Um, and that's like, as, as we learn in just life, like half of success in life is just showing up, right? Like, and so just like being there and and again, I'm not, I'm approaching it like uh, my cancer friend. I'm not there to say, well, you know, have you, have you read this article or have you done this? And, um, but just to say, I just love you. Like whatever, like in church, not garments, no garment, like whatever. I'm just here. And you can say anything to me, Right. And I used to I used to articulate that in the bishop's office. I said this this office is one of the most special rooms in the building because in this office you can come in here and you can yell, you can cry, you can swear, you can even swear at me. Like that's the magic of this room. Like I just want you here, though, right? And so, and and it's and you don't know what to say, right? I, I, I'm going to knock on the door, whatever, but it's like just just being there and showing up, right? And I'm going to send text messages, I'm, whatever it is, and I'm not, and I'm going to remove, because if you just like, hey, I'm here, like, let us know if there's anything we do for you, do for you, like, if you just go that far, they're thinking, oh, he has ulterior motives, 
He wants me to just come back to church. But to actually sit in their presence and say, I don't care about any of it. I want you to know that I'm here with you. I'm hanging with you. Like I am on your team as the bishop that I will do whatever it takes for you to feel comfortable to sit in that pew on Sunday and worship God with me. And I, maybe your God looks different than mine does now. Like, I don't know how you perceive God, but our pews will be open to you, right? And so it's taking that effort of like really reaching out and like having that conversation. And and I've made the mistake. I can think of one friend right now. I never did that, you know, because we we used to be in the same ward. Now we're not. And he's left the church. And I ne- I've never taken the time to just go to lunch and being like, just tell me your story. Like, what happened? Like, what was hard? And I just want to hear it. I'm not here to do anything other than just to hear it, right? And that's, I mean, that's at the the core of a human soul is I just want my story to be heard. I want to be validated that I'm not crazy for thinking this way, right? Anyways, that, there's mm-hmm. my uh, yeah. long, long no, That's powerful. No, so, thank you. So let me ask a follow-up question then. Based on that, what would you say a leader's responsibility is then? Um towards a member who is leaving? Like, how would you describe in one sentence what their responsibility is? And is it different from what a a friend's responsibility is? And if so, how? Yeah, that's a great question. So I I would say the short answer is there's not much difference of a responsibility between a friend and a leader because a friend should be a leader. Or uh, sorry, a leader should be a friend, right? Um, And Again, like I mentioned earlier, the, the, at that point, the ship is typically sailed on the relationship component of it. It's going to be very difficult to now build a relationship as a church leader when they are in the process of leaving that church, right? And so yeah. that's why it's so crucial for that leader to build that relationship early on and then to go there and your only responsibility and um, yeah, your only responsibility is ask one question, what do you need, Right. And they decide how they answer that. Well, I just need I just need you to stay away for six months. I can't even look at a bishop right now. Okay. So that puts us in uh, you know, what, May? Like I'm gonna I'm just gonna reach out in May, right? And <laughs> we go from there, right? That's what they needed. Now, mm-hmm. now obviously we we have boundaries, right? He's, you know, I, I need you to read all this anti-Mormon literature and 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 come into this space with me. Like, well, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But if uh sounds like you just need to be understood, right? So, but just going back to that question of what do you need, right? And then they get to determine what they need, not, well, you know, why don't you come to the church activity? You know, you just maybe, maybe give Sunday school one more shot, right? Like they're that's so far gone to they've already tried that, those steps, right? The all you can do is just ask that question, what do you need right now? Because at some point, at some point, like the the scripture that I stand at the door and knock, like. I have to replace knock with disrupt. Like at some point, there's going to be a disruption in their life, whether God formulated it or not, where they're going to need Jesus. And if they have know that like that bishop, that leader was willing to sit with me, maybe I can reach out to him. And it might be 10 years down the road, whatever. Um, and I do have those relationships with some friends who've left the church who I feel like if they decided to come back, they could call me and say, I'm coming back and they're not going to hear, well, I told you so. I knew this was happening. You know, we've been, you know, no, they just know that I'll be there. So. That's great. Okay. So a lot of the the friends and family members that we've, we've known that have decided to leave the church have had 
like they've been returned missionaries, they've had powerful experiences, they know what the spirit feels like, or they've had big leadership callings. Um, how do we, as at currently active members, make sure that it, I feel like there's, there's almost like this vibe of like, it could happen to anyone kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah. So like, how do we make sure that it doesn't happen to us? Not that it happens to us because we have our agency, but that, that we don't, decide to one day leave the church yeah. does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah so um yeah so this goes back to my effort i want to change the sunday school answer do you you know what the sunday school answer is right mm-hmm. what is yeah. it you do the things you're supposed to do you read your scriptures you read your scriptures right yeah. uh, go go to church uh, say your prayers like that's the sunday school answer and typically that's where if you were asked that question maybe a general sunday school class that's maybe what you heard you would hear I want to change the Sunday school answer and go back to the core of the core of the gospel, which is the first principle of the ordinance, uh, or the first principle of the gospel is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what on earth, talk about something that said so many times has become so cliche that nobody really knows what it means. We believe, as the great uh, Stephen Robinson's book, believe Christ, like actually believe him that he accepts you. And that's the sun, that's the new Sunday school answer, is that how how do we overcome problems? How do we have faith in Jesus Christ? How do we make sure we stay in the church? We believe Jesus that He'll sit with us, as like and accept us no matter what we've done today. He'll accept us completely now. We don't have to do one more thing for Him to accept us. And by Him sitting next to us, He'll sit with us as long as it takes for us to to feel His love. And when we right. feel His love, there's nothing we want to do more. Than to become like him, like that's the and there's a great quote I've got on my on my wall here by Carl Rogers. The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. And I've tweaked that in, in the gospel way. The curious paradox is that when we realize Jesus Christ accepts us, we begin to change, right? So, I mean, maybe maybe you do leave the church at some point. I don't know, but at the end of the day, Jesus accepts you. And if you just feel that love of him, like there's nothing, there's nothing more I want to do than to figure out how to be like him, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, if we get too caught up in the, uh, I haven't been to the temple in a while, maybe that means like Satan's on to me, like he's going to leave the church someday. Like it's not, it's about the acceptance, about feeling his love. And then we begin to change. Not if we read our scriptures and we go to the temple and we do all the, then we'll change. We change now. And then all we want to do is read our scriptures and say our prayers and go to the temple, not because uh, we're earning something, but because he's given us so much. And that's, that's the training ground. That's where we learn how to be like him. And it's beautiful. Well, I think the answer is, you know, kind of what you were saying. It's very in line with the, with what the prophet has been saying recently, but there's a huge focus on the covenant path. Right. And I love what we learned last year yeah. in come follow me, that covenant it is, accurate to describe a covenant as a a two-way promise but it's more accurate to describe it as a a relationship right so covenant is is relationship and so if like in a healthy marriage relationship right you don't think i'm going to serve my spouse so i can get x out of this right like you serve your spouse because you love your spouse and that's part of the relationship. And so if the focus is on building the relationship, 
all of those things are going to happen, right? So I don't want anyone listening to this to think that we're in any way saying don't read your scriptures or don't <laughs> go to the temple. Like all of those things need to happen, but they happen because you're focused on developing your relationship. And that's right. the natural outpouring of the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how we we framed here's another like another oversimplified doctrine that's run wild. We, What's a covenant? Well, it's a promise between two people, right? But you talk about, I mean, the covenant you two have made in a marriage. Like, what if people said, well, you got married as a promise between two people? Like, in theory, that's true, but that's not at the root of it. Like, you you got married because you wanted a relationship. Right. right. <laughs> not because, all right, and like, if if I do A, you got to do B, and you know that's how the covenant works. Like that, that will not work in a long. Yeah, and, and I, I and I think those like those commandments or those promises, they are, you know, they are essential frameworks for the relationship to be built. Right, like the right. the frame the relationship gets built out from that. You look at a marriage, and in the marriage covenant, like you covenant certain things to each other, yeah. and that forms the framework for so much more to happen in between right and you have to have that there otherwise you're just standing in the middle of the field um, but if you have that framework there then you can build something um, build something beautiful around that framework so like the reading your scriptures and and going to the temple saying your prayers that's putting up the you know putting up the frame of the house like super important you have to do it but if you never if you never get to putting on the shingles and the brick and the the drywall and all that stuff then the house like like just a frame of a house is going to provide almost no protection right just as much protection as if you were just sitting out in the open right it's the stuff in between that really ends up providing the protection right okay well our last question and i didn't prep you for this so i'm sorry But um, we ask our guests, what are you doing in your family right now to build your outpost of heaven? Meaning, like, what are you doing right now that's working in strengthening your home and family? Mm, I love that. And I'll, well, this is where my mind goes. And uh, uh, as a parent, I make it a point to apologize to my children. Even last mm-hmm. night, um, my sweet Taysom, he's eight years old. And he just gets so upset sometimes. And then I get upset and I fly off the handle and, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Podcaster. So I'm verbose. I got a, I got a voice. I got to <laughs> command the attention with my voice. And uh, sometimes I raise my voice. And I make him cry even more. And there's just these sweet moments where as he's laying down at bed, I just come in. I say, Taysom, and this happened last night. I got so mad today. I'm so sorry. Like, you don't deserve that, you know? And, uh, like, my children need to hear me apologize to them because then they'll give me another chance. And if, if they give me another chance, maybe someday they'll let God give them another chance. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. We're working on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kurt. It was really awesome to have you here with us. It's fun to so, be here. Thanks for having lot. me. Yeah, I, I look forward to listening to future episodes of Leading Saints. Uh, yeah. Where can our listeners find your not only your podcast, but the other information that you put out? Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast on 
uh, you know, a, a, an app of any form. You can just go to the search bar and type in Leading Saints and look for the red logo. Or, uh, of course, our, our home base is leadingsaints.org. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Keep the faith. Bye.